Hello and welcome to the ALC Par-African Radio's discussion program. The discussion program brings together experts to reflect on a variety of current security issues facing Africa at local, national and international levels. Oh, hello. I'm Desmond Davies. My guests today are the 2022-2023 fellows at the African Legislative Center at King's College, London and in Nairobi. They are Kinan Govenda from South Africa, Tandekile Moyo from Zimbabwe, and Mamadou Salyujalo from uh, Guinea. Uh, we're going to talk really about the various afflictions affecting the African continent and also the future. It's basically more about your views as young Africans about the way forward for the continent. So Kinan, I mean, uh, from South Africa. South Africa got rid of apartheid with such uh, high praise, but it seems as if things are not going too well in that country right now, is it? Thanks so much, Desmond. Um, yes, I, I think there's a lot of positives for us to draw on as young South Africans in, in what we've seen since the advent of democracy. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. I think the thing that really stands out to me is the need to close this gap of inequality. I, I think this is really at the center of a lot of the issues and that we see in South Africa today. And we really need to address this issue of inequality. But Tandekila, you're also from Southern Africa, from Zimbabwe. What do you have to say about the situation in your country? Because I mean, Again, when you got independence in 1980, there were high hopes for your country, but it seems as if it's falling by the wayside. What do you have to say currently? I believe there's still a lot of hope for Zimbabwe because despite all the crises we've had, Zimbabwe has managed to keep educating young people. So we have got a huge population of young people and all of them educated at least up to ordinary level. And many of them, they're educated up to tertiary level which is why a lot of Zimbabweans are migrating and are able to be acceptable in other countries because we have a lot of educated young people. So that gives me a lot of hope that despite the challenges we have politically, if ever there is a change in government, there is hope that the young people can bring Zimbabwe back to its former glory. But the government is training young people and not providing jobs. What's the essence of that if there are no jobs for these young people? Yeah, so the only hope in Zimbabwe that I see is if there is a change in government, because uh, Zimbabwe has all the resources that it needs to develop the country. The only crisis that we have is a leadership crisis. So if there's a change in leadership, then hopefully the new leaders will be able to use the resources that we have, both natural and human resources, to develop the country. Uh, Mamadou Diallo, what's happening in Guinea? Your military leaders have been very rather reluctant to cooperate with ECOWAS and the African Union. Yeah, thank you, Desmond. Um, in fact, in Guinea now, this is the third military regime. So, you know, it's very difficult, very complicated for our nation. But uh, I would say the main problem them is um, the division among the population. You know, we are very, very divided um, country. So I think no development goal can be achieved, you know, in the division. So I think the primary goal of the government, you know, uh, must to be to trying to unify the, the Guinean people. And then I think um, they can start doing that, you know, by um, 
uh, you know, changing the education system to tell the kids, you know, since uh, earlier age, you know, we are all Guinean, you know, you are not Fula, you are not uh, Mandingo, you are not Susu, you know, you are just Guinean. So we felt, you know, our generation, we, we felt you don't have to do the same thing. So friendly with uh, all the other ethnic groups. And I think if we start doing that in 15 years or in 20 years, we, we could see a result. Yes, exactly. I mean, this is the most crucial thing about Africa, the divisions, the ethnic divisions. And Kinan, you come from a country which has been so ethnically and racially divided. How do you see the future of not just South Africa, the rest of the continent, where there's so much division among people within the boundaries? Of certain countries, I think it's a very uh, difficult topic um, to discuss and unpack. And you know, ethnic divisions <clears throat> can often lead to conflict and insecurity, as we've seen, you know, elsewhere on the continent. I think in the context mm-hmm. of South Africa, it's especially important for us to continue the nation-building agenda. I think we've somewhat abandoned this idea in, in the hope that we'll focus on the concept of social cohesion. And I think, yes, it is important for us to focus on social cohesion, but we need to continue the nation-building aspect of it. And we need to find one object or one notion which is unifying for all people. I think initially, a lot of people thought that our constitution, which has been hailed as something so beautiful throughout the world, could have been that unifying object. Um, But um, as time goes on, and I see it with my generation, there's not as much effort and work being put into into social cohesion um, into this nation building project so without going too much into you know the politics of identity and ethnic divisions I think the most important thing is to first recognize your position as a South African and then as an African and whether or not you envision a pan-African agenda for development uh, so that we can um, create that virtuous cycle of peace security and development Yes, uh, Tandekile, Zimbabwe, what's your view on the ethnic divisions in your country? Thank you, Desmond. So our country has got a history of terrible ethnic division where we saw soon after independence from 1982 to 1987, there was a genocide against the people of Matibeleland. So when that genocide ended, there was never any effort to try and bring people together, build peace, to try and uh, embark on some form of transitional justice. So there's lasting ethnic tensions. And for that reason, uh, a lot of progress is impeded by these ethnic tensions between the majority Shona speakers and people from minority ethnic groups in the country. So how do you as young Africans see this being played out? How does the continent resolve this problem? Because that's what is causing all the... uh, difficulties we're facing in Africa. There is lack of unity among Africans and within African countries. There's lack yes. of national unity and cohesion. That That is absolutely true. And uh, in a country like Zimbabwe, where these ethnic tensions are institutionalized, we have institutionalized tribalism. And I see it even in many other African countries where Whoever is in the ruling party, you know, they appoint jobs and positions based on ethnicity. So we really need to de-ethnicize our politics. And I guess that can be done by um, trying to uplift minority ethnic groups because they're usually the ones that uh, suffer the most from these tensions. So if we can have inclusion taught in schools, 
it might go a long way. Well, actually, some people argue that, well, they will appoint people they know people they are familiar with. So in that case, you get people appointing people from the ethnic groups or from the region. But what should be important, really, is that they should look after the interests of the whole country and not an ethnic group, isn't it? True. That is very true. They should look at the interests of the whole country. And, you know, Desmond, like, it's important to be inclusive. So even where you believe that the people that you know, the people from your ethnic groups are the ones that can do the job better, it is always important for a government to seem to be inclusive. So in our policies as governments, in our policies as young people, in whatever space, it is important to always make sure that everyone is represented. So if that's included in our constitutions, to make sure that there is a certain quota for whatever ethnic group or whatever gender, then inclusion will be achieved. Well, Kinan, does this entail in, in South Africa? I mean, does it happen in South Africa? I think a lot of work still needs to be done to create that, first of all, a unified vision for how we want to see this yes. new South Africa, this this uh, this democratic country. Um, but largely, I think the, the spaces in which I see um, unity are more so along um, class divisions and less to do with ethnic divisions or racial divisions. But of yeah. course, those divisions do exist. And it's the work of unifying, as I said, unifying a group of people around a central object or central vision upon which we want to build a nation. So I think that's what's coming through in, in what I'm saying is that that project is still ongoing. Well, actually, you mentioned class division. That, I think, is the main problem in South Africa. I mean, this class division and uh, ordinary South Africans do not see the uh, wealthy classes in South Africa as the oppressors, but foreign Africans. And it, it suits the elite in South Africa to blame uh, foreign Africans for all the country's problems. Isn't that the case? Yeah, I think, you know, always with um, this type of divisive rhetoric, it comes from a place of struggle or uh, lack of access to opportunities. So definitely in South Africa, you know, when we speak of an issue of xenophobia in South Africa, I think, you know, that's largely grown out of the failure of our government to provide um, employment for people, uh, to provide opportunities for people to have social mobility. Um, I think that's where it's born out of and less born out of a hatred of other Africans um, in South Africa. It's more so a misguided, if you will. Mamadou, you were talking about uh, young people taking over and doing the right thing. But let's face it, do young Africans generally know what politics is all about for them? perform creditably in the future because what they see is just chaos they don't have any leaders who can shine a light to the way forward i agree desmond um it what i was uh, you know telling to my colleagues few days ago we need a, you know a true light leadership style in west africa in general i think the problem i highlighted you know from guinea it's the same problem we find in in mali the same problem we find and um, in Senegal, you know, all over the region. I think the government here has, you know, a, a fundamental role to play because uh, um, we can't rely solely on the will of the parents to change things, you know. Most uh, of them are uh, not, uh, you know, educated. 
And um, for example, we, my generation, you know, we grow up in, in families when they tell us since our younger age, you know, uh, you are full of, so the Malenke is the enemy. And the same Malenke family, they are going to tell them there, uh, you are Malenke, the full is, is the enemy. So, yeah. you know, it's why I, I, I insist like on the education so in school you know we are all there in the same room in the same uh you know uh, tables and um yeah like if we do that you know uh, i think in a very few um, years we are going to seek a result so we need to tell ourselves that we are in together in this you know we are in the same uh, boat our mothers you know they are together in the markets you know in the fields so i, I think uh, the, we 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 you know we need the government here to play a, a leadership kinan i think the only thing that unites africans sport isn't it in the south well, african context um, exactly. sport is has really proven to be a, a really useful unifying tool i think we yes. saw that in 1995 uh, in the rugby yes. world cup that that we held when uh, uh, former president nelson mandela lifted the trophy um with uh, the captain of the springbok national rugby team who was a white afrikaans individual whereas previously this would have been unheard of so definitely when when sport comes into it we are able to find that unity um but how do we uh channel that unity around sport around sports figures around how well um african team because the thing i, I want to stress is it's not only about south africa i'm thinking about the world cup that just passed um yes. when um senegal and uh, our brothers from west africa were going far in the world cup, up there was an immense amount of support that was coming from the southern part of the country so when there's uh you know sport then all of a sudden we're able to find uh, cooperation and unity so i think what we need to investigate is how do we take that unity that we find in sports and then uh use that to foster regional and and continental cooperation indeed that's the fact nigeria is the best example i mean nigeria is such a divided country when it comes to football it's one country you know so i mean that, that that's what like you said africans need to harness uh sandekila i mean does sport also play a unifying role in uh zimbabwe unfortunately desmond uh in zimbabwe sport sometimes divides us even further <laughs> we have for a long time we only had two major football teams and they were also ethnically divided so there was mm. highlanders from southern zimbabwe and dynamos from northern zimbabwe so um a lot of tensions always erupt at football games that turn violent because of that because um during the genocide i think sport was the one way uh these <laughs> tensions played yes. in alien groups but i agree with kenan about um finding a unifying vision right like a, a unified vision where either as zimbabweans or just as africans we can come up with a vision for the africa that we want because i think that's what is missing for us to say okay what is this africanness that we are fighting for that we want to see what is this zimbabweanness once we find that unified vision i believe there is a lot of hope for us then working together towards it yes mamadu don't you think that uh, africans complain all the time that they've been exploited 
by the rest of the world. But why is that? Don't you think that's because of weak leadership and of poor governance? Yeah, it's exactly that, um, Desmond. And um, we are always blaming you know, the, the foreign countries and saying that they are our main problems. But I think the problem, you know, is uh, uh, we found our problem here in Africa. And um, what I wanted to say again, and uh, it's not only about the division, even, you know, or the ecology, for example, the environment, we need to prepare like people mentalities in Africa because uh, we felt that uh, again, uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, if you go, for example, in a city like Conakry, there is uh, food everywhere in the street. So we need also to use the education, you know, weapon here and to tell the, uh, the kids, you know, if you finish eating something, don't uh, put it on, you know, the, I would say that you need to look for uh, a trash, you know, don't put um, your garbage in the street. So I think if we do that uh, from now, we are going to see also a result. I think if we take the example of Rwanda, I have ne never been there, but I hear yes. that Rwanda is a very clean country. And uh, what happened there um, 20 years ago, the genocide, I think if we talk about division, you know, in Guinea, for example, we never experimented war. So it's very easy to unify people. But Rwanda, you know, they experimented the genocide, but now they are united. And uh, if you meet a, a Rwandese in Europe, uh, you ask uh, him or her if she is Tutsi or, or Utu, that person is just going to answer you, t tell you that he is a Rwandese. So I think we can say everything we want about, you know, against the, the Rwandese president, but uh, he, what he did is just incredible. So I think um, Rwanda can be an example for, uh, you know, other African countries in, in that aspect. Yes, you are from a, from a French colony, Guinea. Although you left, in 1958, uh, but how, how do you view the antagonism towards France in Africa uh, these days? It's a very good question, Damon. Um, now, our relations in West Africa with the French government is not with the French people. It's the French government. It's very yes. complicated because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, most of us are, uh, you know, former French colonies and uh, it's, it's, it didn't work just that. So people now want want to try something else. So that's you know a very important uh, question, and uh, there is a lot of thoughts you know uh, debate uh, on it. Uh, for example, in Mali, the Malian government has clearly uh, expressed that they don't need any more French troops there. And I think you can see the same thing in Burkina Faso. You know, for us in Guinea, they are not there because we are a rebel country. You know, since yeah. uh, you know, Segudula time, you know, we, we clearly uh, told to the general De Gaulle we are not with them. And, you know, but now what uh, the experts has, uh, are looking uh, at, it's like the, the French response you know it's not easy to to choose like working with chinese or uh, the russian you know without uh, reprisal yeah? Rep yeah so they are going to respond in somehow so we don't know so if a president for example asimi goeta in mali is telling them you know to go out to leave his country we don't know what they are capable of and that's 
you know, a very sensitive question. Yes, but uh, Kenan, uh, South Africa is, in fact, I think the most powerful country in Africa. Does it have to deal with the, uh, the external interference like other African countries, or is it strong enough to resist? Desmond, it, I mean, it, it depends on how you define power. So yes. I think the South Africa previously really, and, and the way I look at it is in the exercise of South Africa's soft power, really played a very influential role in many parts of the continent, in conflicts on the continent, in um, Sudan and South Sudan and Somalia and, and all throughout. And that was the exercise of soft power. And then if we look at hard power through economic power or, you know, that um, pure military power, military might, that type of thing, then I don't think South Africa has really exercised their hard power so much on the continent. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we can look back to 1999, to Lesotho and what happened there. That's one thing. In terms of external forces, I think um, South Africa is not immune from the influence of powerful both Western and Eastern countries in terms of the economic influence that they can exert and as well as um, the influence of international organizations where they hold the hegemony. So I I don't think South Africa is immune from that, but Mm -hmm. perhaps um, less so than uh, other nations in the continent. But I I would come back to the whole idea of, of creating you know, power bases within Africa for pan-African agenda, as opposed to be dictated to by external forces on how we should conduct our business with other African countries. Uh, Claire Court case is the uh, one uh, involving Israel as an observer at the African Union. Uh, it seems as if South Africa is completely against that, and we now see a serious uh, rift at the AU, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this that was um, a decision that the South African government, um, specifically the ruling ANC, takes very seriously. It was a, a decision, I think, that would have almost been easy for our Department of International Relations and Cooperation to take. Um, yes. Certainly, it's because South Africa, not only in Africa, but throughout the world, is one of the few countries that has always maintained a very um, strict line on the issue of Israel-Palestine, um, as well as their position on a two-state solution um, and things and things like that. Of course, the decision that was taken by the African Union and by the chairperson of the African Union was one that was uh, very disappointing to me as as a young African, as a young South African. Um, And and I think we saw, you know, how uh, the haste of a decision like that can turn out, especially in the way in which, um, you know, the observers were, you know, forcibly kicked out of the of the plenary um, most recently. Yeah. So I think those types of decisions have to be thought out more in depth and a lot more consultation had to go into that type of decision. It, it almost seems as though that decision was made by the chairperson in haste. Well, well you see, that's the point. No, he, he argued that uh, he was told to take a decision and he pointed out that 44 African countries have diplomatic relationships with Israel. 17 have embassies and consulates in Israel. So what was the problem? That's what That was his argument. Yeah, for me, I think that's besides the point. The the point in the center of all deliberations about the inclusion of Israeli observers in the AU should have been firstly, what benefit do we do as Africans, as member states of the AU, yes. uh, accrue from having Israel observe um, the happenings of that house? And secondly, what is the underlying drive to have observer status 
on Israel's part? Is it more the influence that they can now exert over African countries? Of course, we know about the Abraham Accords and what this has meant for countries which never pre in Africa, which previously never recognized Israel as a state. I'm thinking of Sudan and others who now, uh, through these Abraham Accords, that were brokered by the US, brokered by a Trump government, um, you know, what are the intentions behind signing an, agree an accord like that? Um, and what um, impact does it have on the people of Palestine who live under an illegal occupation? Yes, I mean, th th that's a major problem, really. I mean, coming back to you again, Tendikile, you spoke about so many young people being trained by Zimbabwe. But the question is, are they really prepared to take over uh, when these old gods disappear? Do they have the expertise? Do they have the experience? Do they know what it is uh, about governance? It's all well and good to get a qualification, but you need to have that experience. And that experience is not being imparted to young Zimbabweans, it would seem. Yes. Uh, so Desmond, you'll find that one of the biggest challenges that Zimbabwe has right now is that of brain drain. Uh, yes. A lot of graduates have found jobs in other countries and in other continents. So we've got millions of Zimbabweans out there that are working as engineers, working in the NGO sector, working in the energy sector. So I believe that there are hundreds of thousands of Zimbabweans that are experienced in areas that will be needed to develop Zimbabwe. Of course, uh, the majority that are educated are at home, unemployed, but we have a large number of them that have gained experience over the years in, in those countries that are draining the brains of Zimbabwe. You're listening to the discussion program on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Uh, my guest today, uh, the 2022-2023 fellows of the ALC at King's College in London and Nairobi. They are Kinan Govender from South Africa and Dekile Moyo from Zimbabwe. Mamadou Salyu Diallo from Guinea. Uh, Mamadou, I mean, talking about leadership, but Secretary Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyerere, they were the ones who led African countries to independence. Why is Guinea now falling by the wayside? You had such a strong leader that took on France and kicked the French out. Why don't you have such leaders again in uh, Guinea, your country? Obviously, uh, Secretary was a very strong and charismatic leader. Um, but now the, the guy, uh, the young... Uh, Colonel Lewis in, in power now. He is also strong because what he achieved in just um, one year and a half is incredible. So, for example, our natural resources, you know, how they manage it now, it's very, very effective because with the two, you know, previous governments, it was just like. Uh, what uh, Chinese doing with our country is just a, a open air haste, you know, like an old op. They take, uh, you know, our uh, natural resources. It's uh, once that uh, the ore, you know, is in China that they determine the price, you know, they fix the price. But now with uh, this military regime, what they are doing, they are asking Chinese to to transform the ore, you know, in place in, in Guinea, you know, if they don't want to do that, we are working with uh, uh, the Indian or Indian or the Russian, etc. So, I, I think the government now, since uh, uh, September 2021, they, they, they are doing well. And even regarding the ethnic um, issue, for example, the ethnic division issue, uh, if 
we are not allowed to talk about you know ethnic things in guinea if they yes. someone hear you uh, talking about that they will uh, you know tell to the police and you are going to have you know problems so i think uh, they are doing well and uh, yeah they are in somehow <laughs> making Seguture proud you know everywhere is now yes tandekile it would seem that the chinese have a a great influence in Zimbabwe. Uh, what do you have to say about that in terms of mining and even politics? Yeah, it is true. And it's something that a lot of Zimbabweans are unhappy about, right? People being given mining claims, being given business opportunities that a lot of Zimbabweans want but have no access to. So a lot of Zimbabweans are asking, uh, are we being colonized by China right under our noses? Because when these Chinese people then come and do business in Zimbabwe, we hear a lot of uh human rights abuses going on in the companies where they beat up employees and things like that so a lot of people are unhappy about it and even in how chinese embassy seems to dabble in zimbabwean politics where they'll put out a statement chastising csos and such things and the government's not doing anything about it well the government is the partner to the chinese people they are the ones that are <laughs> that are bringing them into the country. So I believe that certain individuals in government are benefiting from these partnerships. And that is why I said earlier, there's a leadership crisis, because if you are a leader and you're only going to come up with agreements that benefit a few elite and not the majority of the population, then your leadership skills are not good enough. Uh, so Kinan, how does the South African government handle the influence of China and the influence of Russia? I've got a slightly different way of of looking at this um, question or issue. And, you know, oftentimes people can say it's somewhat controversial, but I look at it as exercise of African agency, that as uh, African states, we choose who we we want to cooperate with, who we want to trade with, and the terms upon which we conduct those relationships. So South Africa, I would say, is largely non-aligned. We have massive uh, trade partners, both in the East with Russia and China and India. Uh, We belong to BRICS, um, as you would know, but we also uh, maintain very good uh, relationships, both politically and economically with the United Kingdom, with the United States. So uh, as a South African, I I really see ourselves uh, sitting in in what could be a a modern day non-aligned movement. So uh, I wouldn't say that we favor one relationship over the other. But of course, you know, being a part of BRICS gives us an advantageous position, I would say. Well, exactly, Mamadou. That's the same thing. Does Guinea have that clout to decide who who are his friends and who are his enemies? Yeah, definitely. I think that in that aspect, Guinea, we have always like uh, have like an independent like uh, option you know yes. regarding that so we are not uh, like other uh, francophone countries you know we have our own you know uh, currency we are not in the safer zone i, I think just to jump on what kinan was saying I, I think south africa um they are in the same group team than china and in russia so it's very yeah. Mm-hmm. difficult for them to you know to choose one partner so they all are the same thing in you know more just recently i think both um, china and russia they was like doing a military exercise you know along the you know south african coast so yeah i think they are partners yeah and um in that aspect i think ours 
small countries, we can take an example from South Africa and try to be like in that kind of partnership with the emerging countries, you know, uh, Brazil, you know, India, China, and not just being a passive country, you know, who waits and from foreign powers to decide for us. Yes, but you see, the main weakness of many African countries, I don't think it's South Africa, is the fact that they're so dependent on aid from foreign countries. I mean, if you're dependent on aid, then you'll get them interfering in your affairs. So how can African countries, uh, Tandekile, uh, get out of this uh, situation, whereby they're dependent solely on outside uh, countries to help them to get along? I think we as African citizens have to learn to choose leaders that serve us because uh, across the continent, we have leaders that we're complaining about, but also African populations, like in my country, young people do not vote. You'll find I was an observer in the last election and at our polling station, we had just a handful of young people that came to vote, but they are the same people that will be complaining again about governance. So I think it's also an issue of people um, exercising their agency and voting for the leaders that can serve them. Because if we don't do that, then the situation is going to continue perpetually. The people in power will remain in power and they will continue to plunder our resources. Yeah, that's the point I've been making. Young people are pathetic. They're not interested in politics. So how do you then get them to become leaders of the future? That's the problem, Desmond, that we're tasked with. And uh, in our country, every day as activists, we're trying to encourage young people to vote, encourage young people to speak out. You know, there's this notion of the voice of the voiceless where people come and they claim they're speaking on behalf of voiceless young people. But why are they voiceless? I mean, I don't understand and I don't identify with, with that concept that they are voiceless people in the country. Everyone must have a voice, especially the young people, because they are the future, as people say. But you, we have young people who are now not even that young anymore, who we expect to be leaders now, but they are not participating. So we have a problem. Young people must also step up. Uh, yes, Kenan, are young South Africans involved in the political process or are they also apathetic? Desmond, yeah, I think um, our, our issue is not with uh, youth who are uh, apathetic to politics. I wouldn't say that. I do think that um, the issue of political conscientization and political education, which was something that was so central um, in the 1980s and 1990s in the fight against apartheid, has really diminished. And it is political education and political conscientization is something that should really be um, central to engagements with youth from the ruling party. And perhaps it's fallen a bit on the back burner in light of some of the other crises and issues that they have to deal with. But I wouldn't say they're, they're apathetic. I think mm-hmm. of the fees must fall, which, you know, as we know, is, is still an, an ongoing fight in, in our country. But during that time, we saw really uh, politically conscious uh, youth uh, fighting for something fighting for a cause, fighting for a common vision. Um, But, uh, you know, these these were youth that were politically conscious, uh, that were somewhat self-aware and that were able to mobilize uh, around, which is something that is a socio-political issue. This is for each of you, starting with Mamadou. As peace and security uh, scholars, are you confident about the African Union's uh, aim of silencing the guns in, in 2030? What are the prospects and what are the uh, setbacks, Mamadou? Thank you, Desmond. I think the African Union is uh, doing its best. But, you know, what I 
want to ask, you know, it's what me as a, an African, as an African citizen, I'm doing for my country, for my continent. Because what uh, is happening now, uh, you know, our generation, like we condemn a lot the past generation, you know, they did nothing, you know, they just sell our countries, our continent. But um, we are now witnessing, we are saying a new division of the world you know it's just happening now what is happening in 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 central africa or in west africa we have all of these foreign uh, countries like um, the russian you know france russia and all uh, and china you know it's like we are it's a new division of the world so now as a young african what are we doing you know i think we have to ask ourselves uh, what what is our role in, in this context because me i include myself in that a lot of young people are just watching um, uh, netflix you know during the weekends or playing football you know we are not doing what we are studying that that's for sure but uh, in our everyday life what are we doing you know against uh, are you fighting against what is happening in our different countries or we are just like you know doing nothing so i think uh, this question is very you know central for me and i ask it every day you know myself what is my contribution what i'm doing for this yes tandekile how do you see the au's uh, silence the guns going 2030. It's an ambitious project, and uh, I believe, of course, as a continent, we have to try our best to silence the guns. But when you look at the practicality of it, that's where you have questions, right? We're just seven years from 2030, and yes. I ask myself, uh, what are the chances? that uh, guns will be silenced by then. And of course, um, I don't think that they, in as much as it's a good project, I think it doesn't look at all the other factors like the legacies of colonization, the external actors in African wars. So it's a huge project that is noble, but um, I'm not sure about the practicality of doing it by, by 2030 or by whatever year. I think it's an ongoing exercise yeah, yes. that will take us decades to do. Yes. Okay, Kenan, what, what do you think about uh, 2030, silencing the guns? Thanks, Desmond. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Salio and also with Sandikile. I think the it's a step in the right direction. If this is progress, and uh, especially having read the roadmap uh, and framework for implementation, I definitely think that the way in which the AU has envisaged addressing the root causes of underdevelopment, promoting good governance, uh, fostering regional and continental cooperation, empowering women and youth, these are all underpinnings of conflict and to silence the guns. My my one criticism, though, is the AU seems to have um, what I would call a bad habit of setting very unrealistic or overly ambitious yes. deadlines and goals and, and then struggling to meet them. And I think um, this is something we, we have to be cognizant of um, in any flagship projects going forward. I mean, initially it was silence the guns by 2020. Then yes. we shifted the goalpost again. So, you know, we, we, we have to be cognizant of the challenges and, and the limitations of our ambitious goals, but that's not to say that we should not have ambitious goals. Kinal Govenda from South Africa and Kile Moyo from Zimbabwe and Mamadou Salyu Diallo, the 2023 fellows at the ALC at King's College 
London and Nairobi. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the discussion program on the ALC Pan-African Radio. For this and other programs, please visit our website at alcafricanradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at ALC Radio numeral number one. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.